I'm Tom Robinson, Managing Director of Education at CFA Institute. And with me today is Dr. Robert Merton, who really needs no introduction for those of you who are practicing in finance or, in particular, those of you who've gone through the CFA program. But I'll introduce him nonetheless. Dr. Merton is a School of Management Distinguished Professor of Finance at MIT Sloan School of Management. He is also University Professor Emeritus at Harvard University. He is a recipient of the Nobel Prize in Economics for his research on options pricing and is currently resident scientist at Dimensional Fund Advisors, where, is, where he is developing a next-generation integrated pension management solution system. Welcome, Dr. Merton, to our uh, session today. I'm delighted to be here, Tom. Thank you. So a lot of your recent research has focused on a new approach for analyzing and managing macro risk uh, using contingent claims analysis. Tell us a little bit about contingent claims analysis. A contingent claim, as the name might uh, infer, is a security, a contract, even a structure of any sort whose value in risk properties depend on other typically other assets or other underlying uh, uh, securities. And, and so we often call them derivatives, but in many cases they aren't actually derivatives. They're, they could be any kinds of structures. And so if people trained in finance are well versed in knowing about this. The, the application in macro uh, uh, financial risks uh, is a new one, but it's, uh, it's a very traditional finance element. So options, uh, corporate liabilities, and so forth are all examples of contingent claims, claims whose value and risk depend either on the other underlying assets of the corporation or whatever they have a claim on. So uh, talking about corporate liabilities, since you mentioned those and they're a big part of your work, how do you value a corporate liability using contingent claims analysis? Now, example of a, a corporate liability, a loan, a bond, but for that matter, not even just corporate liability, any loan, mortgage, uh, when you analyze the structure, uh, it turns out that what you're doing when you buy a mortgage or buy a corporate loan or buy a corporate bond, you're really performing two kinds of activities. You're lending money basically risk-free, the way you would with government, U.S. government bonds, time value of money, but you're also writing a guarantee. Uh, and in particular, what that guarantee is is equivalent to a put option on the assets which support that debt piece. So if it's a mortgage, it's a put option on the house. If it's a corporate loan, it's a put option on the corporate assets and so forth. And just recognizing that structure gets you to better, much better understand what it means to take credit risk because it really is two very different businesses. Lending money time value and writing put options, which are insurance. And insurance writing is a very honorable profession, been around for centuries, and a good one. But it's important to know that's the business that you're in when you're lending money. Yeah, so and intuitively it, it, it's obvious that uh, it makes sense. The value of the assets go down since you're short a put option on those assets that as the value of the assets falls, the put option will rise in value since you're short, the value of the debt falls. Exactly. Okay, excellent. Well, and so also important, in fact, the more interesting in a way is that not only does the value of the put option rise and the value of the debt fall, 
But as we know in finance, the put option is what we call a nonlinear payoff function. We all, those of you who have taken, seen that curve. And so as the assets fall, not only does the value of the put go up, but the sensitivity of that put's value goes up to the underlying asset. So you, through this nonlinearity, two things happen when you hold any kind of corporate debt or uh, the mortgage debt. Not only does the debt fall in value, but it risk goes up. So if the same shock that moved down the first time had an impact, if you had the same shock again, the impact will be even greater. And it's, that's the more subtle and therefore more insidious nature of this kind of risk. It is not linear. It's increasing risk as the asset goes down. And so both risk and value change, and that's very critical right. that comes out of this. So that really exacerbates things like the crisis where you have a big shock or multiple shocks in succession and that, that decline in value accelerates. Exactly. And this explains what people you know, are sort of surprised. They say, well, uh, banks, you know, they had a shock, they went down, uh, they announced they're not doing any more loans. In fact, they're, it may even be contracting, but they're certainly not expanding. And then things go down again, and they lose even more money than they did the first time. And you say, how did I lose even more the second time than I did the first time if I haven't expanded my base? And the answer is that because each of, what, of the loans they did hold had become riskier, and so when the same underlying event occurs, its response or impact is greater. And it's, that's what leads to uh, what appears to be a, uh, you know, almost a, 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 an explosion in losses in those situations. Right. Um, we, we talked a little bit about corporate debt, but you mentioned that this could apply to any debt, mortgages, etc. Um, and you've applied your model to the corporate sector, the banking sector, and the government sector. And, and you're talking about, in your research recently, how we can analyze and manage these macro risks when we combine all of these together. So can you talk about you know, how the risk is transferred or connected between the corporate sector, the government sector, and the financial sector? Of course. So if you think of, let's, let's say uh, this, we start with either the corporate sector, we could also say the household sector. So if you prefer, every time I see a corporate asset, you could substitute okay. housing. Okay. Each one works just as well. But let's say you have a, a, an event in which you have a shock to the corporate sector, asset values in the corporate sector fall. Well, where does that hit the financial sector, particularly banking? Well, banks make loans. Loans, recall, include writing a put option on corporate assets. So, of course, when the assets go down, the put option goes up, the bank assets, loans go down, the bank becomes weaker, but at the same time, also, the bank becomes more risky. More risky than just a decline in value because each unit is more sensitive if there's another decline. So that's how it hits the banking sector. But now, we know that governments, certainly after the, we've been through this crisis, not only explicitly have guarantees of banks, such as deposit insurance, but implicitly have stepped in to protect all deposits, in fact, protect all bank liability holders in many cases. Uh, in fact, we even saw in the case of non-banks, like mutual funds, money market funds, the Fed guaranteed all of them. So we have all these guarantees that are done, okay? What's a guarantee? It's a put option. It, what is it? It's a put option on the bank's assets. But what are the bank's assets? It's basically short put options. 
So they're writing a put option on a put option. They're guaranteeing a guarantee. Well, if a put option is what we call the jargon is convex, nonlinear, which means as the asset declines, the risk goes up, then if you have a put option on a put option, that's double convexity. That means when you look at a government, when things are fine, the government guarantees are not very sensitive to what happens in the corporate sector or anywhere else. It's pretty flat. Why? Because all the cushions that are in front of that. But because of this very steep convexity, if the corporate sector gets into too much trouble or gets a couple of shocks, or the real estate sector, the government can suddenly find itself in a very uh, exposed position, seemingly overnight, appearing to be some sort of black swan event, and it's not. It's not some 10 standard deviation event. It's due to this extreme convexity, and you know, one good example of that is the 1997 Asian crisis in Thailand, where uh, real estate turned into trouble for banks, which banks were holding government bonds, which you know, caused the feedback. And as the banks got weaker, the government got weaker. As the government got weaker, the banks got weaker. And the next thing we know, the guarantees issued by the Thai government had a rough value, the guarantees, of 70% of the GDP of Thailand, which was not tenable. So the, the way these things propagate, and they can start anywhere. If you have a banking crisis, it can propagate to government and propagate to the corporate sector. So these are all feedback mechanisms. And because of the so-called nonlinear structure, uh, simple intuition or simple statistical models that are often used in macroeconomics don't anticipate or capture the radical change in risk that can take place with this. And that's what using the financial tools of contingent claims analysis allows to capture in the propagation of that. Dr. Merton, that was fantastic. Thank you. We appreciate your taking the time and joining us today. Thank you very much. Copyright 2012 CFA Institute. This program is designed to give accurate and authoritative information in regard to the subject matter covered. It is distributed with the understanding that CFA Institute is not engaged in rendering legal, accounting, tax, investment, or other expert advice. If legal advice or other expert assistance is required, the services of a competent professional should be sought.